0: yes all right
1: all right what is up everybody we're back with the off the benches podcast we got your hosts i'm kayla sterner we have dante washington and benny rodriguez today for our sports segment we will be joined by matt perino matt is a buffalo bills re beat reporter for Syracuse.com. He also works with news for Buffalo. He's an adjunct instructor at the University at Buffalo, and he used to report on the UFC. So we're gonna have a lot of fun Bills Talks today. So circle the wagons.
0: I'm gonna do it off first. <laughs> say, my name is Dante. nice to meet you. My first, nice meet you. Question, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first question for you is, just to start everything off is,
2: how did you get your start in reporting? Um, so I, I took everybody's favorite path to uh, a career in professional sports journalism. I dropped out of high school. Um, I know it <laughs> sounds kind of crazy, right? Um, but I was uh, a little bit non-traditional. I got to the University of Buffalo where uh, I, I graduated from when I was like 25, which I think gave me kind of a leg up. I got to cover division one sports. Um, really see what it was like to be in a press conference to interview an athlete um and then by by the time i graduated i i was ready for a job and like a big job but i got hit with a harsh reality you don't get to start covering the nfl the ufc right out of school so i got a little job covering high school sports did that for about two years got this great job with the ufc traveled all around the world doing that and then ended up back in buffalo covering the bills
3: um Well, as Kayla had said, uh, my name is Benny Rodriguez.
2: Um, So I got to say, Benny, that is a excellent name. Um, Did you ever see the Sandlot? I did. did. Benny the Jet, baby. I like it.
3: Um, So this is actually coming from me because I'm actually a big like um, MMA fan. So what is it like to work for the UFC? Because like, I love that whole like organization as a whole. So I just want to know what it's like.
2: Yeah. It um, it was a thrill of a lifetime. Honestly, it was really hard to leave. Um, I grew up in Buffalo, obviously. So when I got in, when I when I started going to school for sports journalism, the idea, the goal was always to get back be- to, to get to Buff to a job where I could cover the Buffalo Bills. Um, but when I got out there, I mean, just seeing behind the scenes of this unbelievable machine, like that held all of these events all over the world, like five to six hundred fighters under on the roster at any given time you know uh, i spent every week for a long time there i did this feature on ufc.com it was called the download with dana white and so i would go into his office every week a lot of times i'd wait outside i'd hear yelling i'd hear screaming i'd hear um just the 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 ufc world happening like i was in the i was in the middle of it I, i remember you know one of my fondest memories was early on in conor mcgregor's career he was um, fighting in Boston against De- Dennis Seaver before he ever became champion. Yeah. And I got to uh, cover like a, a sparring session that he was having. And then I I drove with him over to the um, open workouts where they kind of work out in front of the fans. So I was in a limousine with him. I was hanging out with him. It was just, it was, uh, like I said, a thrill of a lifetime. It was <laughs> I am. I in a and
1: everything.
2: Connor. Yeah. What's Connor like, cause he's one of like my favorite fighters. He's um, he's, a, he's exactly Fetch. like you'd expect. Like he's brash. He's, you know, confident in himself, but I got to tell you, like he's one of the most down to earth, nice guys. Now I've not spent any time around him in a long time. And obviously the, the height of fame that he reached, I can't imagine that you just stay the same all the time. But um, when I was around him, I can't, I can't say enough good things about him. He was, he was a cool dude
1: all right are you guys ready to jump into the bills stuff oh
3: yeah
0: I was going going to ask you I got kind of I got two questions here my first question is uh how do you build relations with the Buffalo Bills to make sure you got a good relationship once when it's time to report on breaking news stories they'll communicate with you pretty well
2: well it's it's challenging because most of it when you're on the beat happens around the team right like especially in season out of season is a little bit more of the wild wild west like i actually have a player that i connected with his agent which is that's really more important like the the relationships that you have with all these players agents they're the ones that can kind of pull some of the strings um i'm meeting with a player in arizona in a couple weeks on the bills roster to do a feature story on them that i set up with an agent because i'm going down there for the owner's meetings like you got to make sure that number one you're respected. Number one that you treat them fairly, and you know, in terms of what they say, you know, you're then writing stories on what they say and and how you frame what they say. You know, players pay attention to that stuff. Uh, coaches pay attention to that stuff. So, I always try to make sure that you know I'm spending most of my time when I'm writing stories about things that players said, framing it in a way that is fair to them and really shows exactly what they meant to say because a lot of times in like especially sports journalism today so much is taken out of context like somebody will see like a, a clip somewhere or like a, a very small clip of a 10-minute of a interview and they'll write an entire story around it and they'll miss the entire point of what the person was trying to say or omitted really important details from the piece uh or from the interview so i i try to just you know, give them that respect. And a lot of times they give it back to me in that way. Okay.
0: My second question is that being said, I'm glad you build good relationships because this season you had to cover a lot of crazy stories from the preseason to the playoffs. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you describe us how how you went through things that most beat reporters don't usually go through, like the preseason, the, the Bills punter. To the the Buffalo shooting, to Damar Hamlin, to now the defensive coordinator taking a year off. Can you just describe to us
1: how do you keep your point? Right, You're
0: having to, yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's all of a that. lot.
2: <laughs> um, no, that's a good question. I um, the Buffalo Bills did not care at all that I have a second job as a as a professor because it was really hard to juggle all of the different balls in my life this this last year. Um, you know, you starting with the, De...
1: with the spectrum, you can <laughs> the, the Thank last you. semester stuff looked really good too.
2: Thank you. Thank you. They did a great job. Um, so the Debar Hamlin stuff, I'll start there. That was, I mean, jarring. Like one of the things I tell people about journalism in general, going into this business, like you really have to, to learn to turn off your emotions when you're covering a lot of different things, like sports for the most part, we get to avoid a lot of the really like you know the the toughest thing that most most people will cover is like going into a locker room after a big playoff loss or you know a Super Bowl loss and have to like you know ask people players and coaches about it. This was completely different. This was like life and death. I mean, Stefan Diggs was on the HBO show The Shop this week and he talked about being on the field and watching the defibrillator like flatline and you know seeing DeMar Hamlin, his brother, his teammate, die on the field and you know, in the moment, like you're just trying to conceptualize all of that and then treat everybody involved in the process with a certain level of grace, because this isn't like about football anymore. It's about like, you know, real life. I mean, the, the, the top shooting and everything that happened like that, it wasn't so much in my world per se. It was to a degree, like, like the racial implications and, and how everybody was dealing with that, we talked a lot about that. We cover that a great deal, but it didn't actually happen to the bills. So it wasn't something that I was like on the ground floor as much, but you know, the, the region has been so hit by so many different things this, this year. I mean, the, the weather stuff, like people outside earthquake. of Buffalo don't realize. Yeah. Like we had an earthquake Yeah, the, in the Buffalo. Earthquake was, uh, the earthquake was, and you were in town for that, right?
1: No, I wasn't. I actually felt like severe FOMO. I'm not gonna lie, because everybody back home is posting about it. I was uh-huh. like, Are you kidding me? Like, this was my one chance to live through an earthquake and survive, like <laughs> yes. and 100 percent have a survival rate. Like
2: right. Oh, it was uh that was crazy, but like the the store the winter storm where like people were stuck in their cars and people that were losing bad. you know electricity and heat, and people were dying and so, yeah, it's been um, it's been kind of a crazy year. I just think you try to just do your best. Remember the fundamentals of, of what you studied, you know, all those years back. I mean, I, it helps me in these moments. The fact that I I now teach journalism. So, you know, I, I as much as I stray away from it and my job in particular, it's it's as much about, you know, my brand, my show as it is about the day to day beat coverage. Like we spend as much time planning and you know, prioritizing my podcast as I do anything else that I do. So, um, it's a challenge, but yeah, I just, it goes back to the, what you asked before about like treating people, you know, with respect and, and, and trying to do things in a way where you have empathy and understanding. And I think that goes a a long way through the whole process in terms of how you present yourselves and how you interact with people
0: speaking of your podcast my next question to you is how do you separate do you separate the podcast in your writing or do you just try to relate them to each other say that
2: again you like broke up a little bit i'm sorry
0: you're okay uh speak i said i was referring to your podcast do you Mm you you you, said you try to separate that from your current job with the bills or do you connect them
2: no they're connected so syracuse.com um, that's who I work for. They own the podcast, right? So like I created it, it was, it was my baby. It was my idea, but they had the rights to own it or let me do it kind of on the side and they chose to, to own it. And so, um, all the sponsorship goes through them, all the, you know, planning and, and all that kind of stuff. So there it's very much connected. I mean, you know, we do it. I like to think a little bit differently than almost any other beat podcast in the NFL, like across the country, like, the, the video component, the audio component, the live fan engagement interaction component. And then just like having somebody that's in the locker room every day throughout the season, any day that the locker room for the Bills is open, I'm in there. I'm interviewing players, um, et cetera. So, um, no, it's a big part. It's a big component. It's a big part of everything. And um All right. My next question. I know I got a lot of
0: questions. I'm sorry. I'm a journalist too, a little bit. So these questions, I'm sorry. But um, as a reporter, now now more than ever, I know Kayla can relate to this. Benny can relate to this a little bit. When, When can you recall the time or a year or a moment where a reporter now realized they're not just a reporter. Now they're more than a reporter. They, now they got a brand. Like you got a brand. You got a podcast now. You do other things on the side besides being a reporter. Now you got to build yourself up. Did, was that always a thing or was it a thing with social media? around?
2: I think it's been a thing for at least the last like 12 to 15 years. Like I think like good reporters even just organically tend to like have a brand and and intend to grow their brand based on the work that they do. And I still think that's a big component of it now. But now I think everything that you do, like how you treat fans, like think about this, like even 10 years ago, the interaction between fan and media was not nearly as um, robust and like um, in the moment as it is today. Like, I mean, I have people DMing me all the time. My DMS are just like, sometimes I'll open them and it'll be like 15 unread messages. Right. We are famous. And, <laughs> no, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm Buffalo That's Bills. Star community famous, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have a very pro fan interaction brand, right? That's part of my brand and not everybody in the media has that. And I think that that holds some people back and I think there's different levels to it. I go all the way to the wall, 100% interaction. Like if somebody message messaged me, reaches out to me, it doesn't matter how many, uh, how much time it takes, I interact with those people because I feel like it's important. I also have a really intimate understanding of not only the Bills, the Buffalo community, but Bills Nation, like Bills Mafia. Like I, I grew up in that. I was a Bills fan for 35 years. I lived here. These are my people. So I know what it would have meant for me to get, you know, Mark gone or Alan Wilson back in the day, those reporters to have them interact to me, with me in, when I have a question or just a take or a comment, it would have meant the world. So I try to give those moments to, to fans. I think that's a big part of what I do. Like I was walking in, um, Anderson's the other night. It's a local uh, little roast beef ice cream uh, shop. We took my daughter there for her birthday. Roast beef and ice cream. Yo, uh,
1: Anderson's is good. Don't <laughs> don't no. even. No, no,
0: he said roast beef and ice cream. I
1: was thinking of the combination thing. I'm don't on <laughs> Anderson. So no buffalo food slander in this chat.
2: <laughs> so it's also not just roast beef. It's called beef on <laughs> mac It's one of the staples of the, t- okay. of the town. Yeah. So you got to get like a sp- specific roll. It's it's good. Anyway, my daughter loves it. The ice cream obviously part of it so we took her there (laughs) for her birthday and somebody stopped me in the in in the show and like what's up matt and i'm like hey what's going on and he introduced himself he's a big fan of the show we kind of interacted a little bit he's the owner of one of like the biggest gyms in town it's just a crazy like like he's got got got, has a very big brand in town as well and so it was it was kind of funny to see him kind of fanboying out a little bit because he's a huge bills fan and watches the show all the time it's like those little moments like I that's kind of what I dreamed of coming into the business. So it's really cool. I I'm I'm so glad to be a part of this specific community. Uh, it's funny. Most like NFL players Diggs was talking about on the, on the show this week about how Antonio Brown, when he got traded to the bills, he was like, hell no, like I'm not going there. It's like, it's so funny. I was the complete opposite. I was like anything I could do to get back to Buffalo. That's what I was trying to do. Uh, it's funny how that like juxtaposition of it, but, um, are you going in? Yes, actually, I got a question. I'm going to go that up. All right, we got
1: 15 minutes. Left. All
0: right. I know. I'm sorry. Speaking of Stefan Diggs, uh, there has been a, a tweet, a post, people confirmed it. I personally confirmed it because I didn't believe it. It said he unfollowed the bills and he now follows the cowboys, which I physically checked and he does not follow the cowboys. So what do you what do you think that means? Do you, that you just think that doing. he's just trying to draw attention, or you think it's a it's, big thing? Uh,
2: Everybody's bored, man. It's the off season. Got to <laughs> create some drama. Like I get it. The thing is, who that knows is. if, <clears throat> who knows if Diggs ever even followed the Bills. Like, is anybody reporting That's that? That's true. Like, That's definitively true. knows that they that he followed the Bills. Like, if I was him, and he's very eclectic, like he has a lot of different interests. Like, maybe he doesn't want to see the Bills on his timeline all day, every day. Like, maybe he doesn't want to take work home like- with them. He's got like
1: three different Instagram accounts too. Yes. Like I follow like two of his accounts that like you have to request and he like has to accept you. And he just posts like a bunch of random shit. Right. Okay. So he's also like one of those guys who is kind of, who would stir the pot.
2: Okay. All right. <laughs> but I All mean, right. there's, there's, there's traction there to like him being unhappy, like they're, you know, there's a history in Minnesota when things kind of went off the rails from what he thought his role should be. He Obviously, said, there was a disconnect between the bills and him in the second half of the season and why maybe the offense wasn't the same as it was in the first half. So I get the fears. But I think like people are taking a lot of liberties with trying to connect dots where I don't even know if there are necessarily dots. Like he until he says it himself, I, I think it's a little bit presumptuous. Mm-hmm. So like, what was it like to cover the
3: whole season as like a whole, and like what do you think of the season as as to like how um it played out?
2: You know, it's it's funny. We went from maybe two and a half weeks before the Cincinnati game, saying that man, it, really, no matter how this thing shakes out, Demar Hamlin is okay. He's walking around. He's recovering. I don't know if you're the Bills, how you can leave this season without it feeling like this just massive success and uplifting story and. You get to the Bengals game and it's amazing how quickly things shift because going into the Bengals game when he got hurt, uh DeMar, mm-hmm. I had maintained for weeks that it, this season was all about Super Bowl or bust and not reaching the Super Bowl at least would have been a failure of a season and I think that that's really what everybody came away with, especially with the way that the players responded dig specifically like this felt like a huge letdown Of course, there was all these different like circumstances that led to that moment, but the Super Bowl windows do not stay open for very long in this league. And you know, the bills really their best chance to win it was probably in 2021 when they should have beat the the chiefs and then 13 seconds. Oh my God.
1: Those damn 13 (laughs) seconds and not calling a squib kick. I'm still
2: heated about this. (laughs) Exactly. You need to take advantage of those moments. (laughs) And I mean, the bills, all they've talked about after 13 sec- seconds was, we got to win enough games in the regular season, win our division, try to get the one seed because we want to force AFC teams to come to Buffalo, play in the weather in January. And the Bengals did that, and they kicked the Bills' butts. And so now, like, how do you regroup from that? It's 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 an interesting off-season conversation for sure.
1: What do you think the Bills need to do this off-season? to get to try and reopen that window. Cause obviously they got like an inch left right now.
2: Right. Um, I think they have to prioritize the offense. I think they have to add on the offensive line, like the the, the most successful, you know, dynasty. I think we could call them a mini dynasty at this point, the Chiefs since the yes. Patriots, like they have to be used as the model to a degree because they've had sustained success. And the reason they've had sustained Success is they've found their quarterback. They paid their quarterback, and then they built around their quarterback. And they were a bit creative with it. Like this past year, they traded away the most dangerous weapon in the NFL, and they just threw a bunch of bodies at replacing him. Right? Like they drafted a receiver, they signed a couple receivers. Um, they relied on some receivers they had on the roster already. And oh, by the way, they still have probably the, one of the top weapons in the league in Travis Kelsey. So they had that buffer room. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bills. They don't have they're not gonna get, you know remove anybody from the situation, really. If you look at the whole scheme, maybe a couple offensive linemen that that didn't really do the job, but they have to attack the offensive line and free agency. They have to find two players that can at least compete for starting jobs. And if you look at the Chiefs build, they found Joe Tooney. An all pro guard paid him top of the line money a couple of years ago, traded for Orlando Brown. Those are big moves. Those are big money moves. Can the Bills make a big money move? There's $17 million over the salary cap right now. They have to make a bunch of moves to get under just to get compliant and then open up enough room to try to k- take a couple swings in free agency. I just don't know how big those swings can be. So that really then puts the emphasis on the draft. Look at the Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year. They had guys starting and making impact plays as rookies in the Super Bowl. The Bills have to find a way to do that. They've not gotten enough quality impact players in the draft the last couple of years, and that's starting to catch up with them now as you look at the roster and how they have to build this thing this year in, you know, a fleeting Super Bowl window. It always feels fleeting, even though you have the quarterback because all these other teams are making moves. And who knows, like the next big thing could come a quarterback any any minute now, like Tua could take a step and become this like super robotic, like just cyborg killer with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. Like you have to keep up with all these other teams and then the teams that you don't even expect to take the step. So yeah, it's uh there's a lot of work still to do and it's it's that's the fun season too. I, I like this part of it to see exactly. how they're going to answer so, all these. Who's pieces.
1: brain might be fried though. I'm not gonna lie. The Collins did him was, dirty with was those
2: just questions.
0: I uh, Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, maybe.
1: That I think would make the Jets actually like serious contenders. The grill, yeah, you're saying, so
0: the yeah. Bill's got, sound like a yeah, Bills got like a lot of
3: like, problems. I wanted to ask you, yeah. So, like, what do you think about the whole like Aaron Rodgers situation? Because, and maybe it's just like a personal opinion, but if I'm the Jets, I'm not taking on that huge contract. Like, well,
2: the Jets it are in a bad spot in the sense that they've proven an inability to draft a quarterback. So yeah, the last two yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they've taken, stink. And so like, now what do you do? Like, are you Woody you're Johnson, the owner? Are you looking at Joe Douglas and saying, yeah, get rid of Zach Wilson and let's draft another quarterback. No, no, like you're not doing that. And you've seen Aaron Rodgers win, you know, two of the last three MVP awards and you're probably like, blank check, whatever it costs, bring him in. I get mm-hmm. that. The problem is I watched a lot of Green Bay games last year. I know that there were some talent issues, but that offensive line in Green Bay was actually pretty good. And he's going to play in New York in front of an offensive line that's dramatically worse. So there's some weapons. I like Garrett Wilson. That's fun. And that pairing could be interesting with the offensive line. Can they make enough moves if they're going to pay Aaron Rodgers to bolster that offensive line? I have questions. I think Aaron Um, Rodgers has other interests. I don't know how committed he is to football at this stage. And when you win back-to-back MVP awards, I almost wonder at that age if you just start to, just kind of put it on autopilot a little bit and figure that you could probably just do it because you've done it at such a high level for so long. That's not going to work in this division. I, even if Edmonds and Poyer are gone for the Bills with Sean McDermott, I mean they're still going to have a formidable They find a way to to do that. So yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers is fun. I don't necessarily know if he'll move the needle enough for me to say that they should be the favorites. But it's very interesting. And I think it all of a sudden puts the the dolphins and the jets on like equal playing field at just under the bills. And who knows if we get to after the draft and the bills don't do enough in free agency in the draft, maybe I would listen to a conversation that maybe they've fallen a little bit behind.
1: All right, so um I'm jumping back to the bills off And
2: Matt, who do you have your eyes out on for the draft?
1: Because isn't it like we have a pick first, second, third, and fourth round?
3: something like that. But
2: John Robinson. Yep. Uh, they have a pick in every round except the seventh that was traded. And their fifth round draft pick is actually from the trade from Cody Ford last year. They traded their oh. fifth round pick um in the Naheem Hines deal. So they have six picks and I'm the more and more closely we get to the draft. I was in Indianapolis last week for the combine studying all these prospects. I think some of the big time movers and shakers that the bills would have their eyes on the first round are going to be gone by 27 and so you have to ask yourself where is the value is it in getting aggressive and trading up and getting one potential impact player or is it maybe sliding back a few picks with a team that wants to move up to get a guy that they really like and maybe the bills will have somebody they like 27 you sit there and they make the trade but i think getting maybe three or four picks in that 32 to 60 range where you can you know maybe answer some questions at a bunch of different position groups that's the idea that i really like my draft crush right now is uh, jackson smith and jigba the wide receiver out of ohio state i think he fits a need for the bills i think what he could be like in the slot with Diggs and davis on the outside could really take their offense to the next level the problem is he went out and absolutely destroyed the combine and now people are projecting him maybe as a top 10 pick the bills can't get yeah. him in that range jordan addison of usc wide receiver going yeah. into the combine was like the big wide receiver name. He kind of stunk at the combine. So now people are talking about maybe him falling to the back half of the first round. And to me, that would be a dream scenario because the tape on Addison is through the roof. He's absolutely explosive. He playing all three levels. So I think getting a playmaker, whether it be a wide receiver tight end, if you have to, if you have no other option and no trade comes up, going and getting a starting level offensive lineman is also in play, but I think you have to go offense. I, I really think the bills haven't selected an offensive player in the first round of the draft since Josh Allen unacceptable.
1: And you mentioned earlier how the bills do not have a lot of cap space at all. Do you think then that could lead to them like dropping Naheem Hines again? So they, cause I saw something where it was like, that would free up like $4 million if they did that. Do you think that's a possibility?
2: I always think it's a possibility. Uh, The reason why I'm not predicting it is because you can restructure that contract, I believe. And, and it ends up opening like two and a half million in cap space. And they traded Zach Moss, a former third round running back and what ended up being a fifth round pick. So they gave up assets to acquire Naheem Hines. So if you're just going to, you know, release him, you basically just ripped up like three different pieces (laughs) you know, potentially for your team. And I just don't think Brandon Bean's in the business of doing that. They love Naheem Hines. He was a hero in that game after the Damar Hamlin situation where he ran back two kicks for- 28 uh, uh, yards or something. Yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> so I think from a just a special teams perspective, finding a really good return man is hey. a priority. So they have that. So I think if you could restructure that contract, open up maybe half of what you would open up if you just straight out released them. I'm not out ruling out the Bills- adding to the running back room. I'm not saying that Naheem Hines has to be RB2 or anything like that, but I think keeping him on the roster is probably a priority for being. So I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah.
1: And then the bills had just brought Cole Beasley for the back half of the season. Do you think they carry him to next season?
2: No, I, I think they'll consider it. And if there's no other options and maybe they get past the draft and you know, they, they still haven't, um, address the slot receiver position, I think they'd consider it. But I almost think – I wonder if they're more likely to bring back Jamison Crowder, who they signed last offseason to to fill that Cole Beasley role. That's what I would do. Yeah, I just think that they're – I think they have to move on from what they were and now find a new identity. Like, Cole Beasley was really important in 19 and 20, helping to develop Josh Allen, giving him an easy button. But, you know, he's going to be 34 years old. uh, He's older, and I just think – It might just be a good idea to refresh things and bring in a younger player, Uh, even if it's not Crowder, like maybe going out and trading as crazy as it might sound. And it would be a little bit costly. So you probably have to add a player, maybe like an Ed Oliver into the deal. And I don't know if the Bills are interested in doing that, but like a Hunter Renfro from the, the Raiders. That's really interesting to me because he is like, to me what Cole Beasley was in Dallas before he got to Buffalo, a really good slot receiver who's had good success in the league, but maybe Josh Allen could just completely unlock him in this offense. And they can have a little bit more of a version of the offense that they had in early 21 and then most of 2020. Um, But that would cost probably a draft pick, probably, you know, day three pick, maybe uh, a player. I I don't.
1: That, right? Wait. I don't know. What just happened to that? the volume?
0: Do you still hear us? Can you hear us?
1: I don't think so. I don't think he can hear us. Wait, we can't hear him either. Can
2: you can you hear us there now?
1: Okay, I don't know what just <laughs> happened there. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, 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 it just like cut out of nowhere. Okay, There's... we only have a few more minutes. So I'm going to jump right into it then. We mentioned earlier, Leslie Frazier was like, I am out for this year, deuces. Do you think Sean McDermott is at that level that he can manage the defense and all of the head coaching opportunities? Because he does come from a defensive well, background. Kayla
0: dable has gone too.
1: Wait, yeah. Brian
0: Davis said, no offensive coordinator, no
2: defensive coordinator, where do you go?
1: It's uh, go a good question. Where do we
2: go? So next season will be Sean McDermott's seventh season as a head coach so I think that he's got that in his back pocket that he has a lot of experience at times during his tenure the game day management hasn't been great so I think from a fan's perspective I might be a little worried about him having to juggle all the responsibilities as a defensive play caller with keeping up with the play-to-play game management piece now he'll delegate right like he has a he has kind of an assistant um, quality control coach. He has a game management coach who's the assistant quarterbacks coach that could kind of maybe uh, loop them into the the head coaching responsibilities. And then the defensive staff is has a lot of talent on it. And they just signed Al Holcomb, who was a defensive coordinator with the Panthers and the uh, Cardinals as a defensive senior assistant. He could probably help with some of the defensive coordinator responsibilities. But yeah, it's, it's definitely something interesting. Uh, Ken Dorsey took over for Dable last year. Um, so they do have the offensive coordinator in place, but again, a second year offensive coordinator, I think a lot of ways, like if, if Sean McDermott takes a larger role in the defense, you're basically saying, all right, Ken, you're good over there on offense, run the show. And it at the end of last season, I think most fans were a little bit frustrated with how the offense was operating and some of the play calling decisions. So I think Ken Dorsey is going to be much better in year two with a full off to figure out what worked, what didn't, and then, you know, reformulate the plan for his second season. Uh, but yeah, a lot of question marks from a coaching perspective, losing a guy like Leslie who has decades of experience as a coach in this league and then played in the league uh, beloved in the locker room. It, it opened a lot of eyes. Yeah. Yeah,
1: definitely. Do you guys have anything else you want to
3: um, so I know you were talking about the whole like Bills situation with the whole, like, um, trying to get, um, a wide receiver. So I, I don't know if you saw, but the Vikings, like of, um, Adam Thielen. So if you were, if you worked in the bills, like front office, is that something that like interests you or no?
2: Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it does from a, the perspective of, I think he's an experienced guy. He could, he's got versatility. He could play in the slot, he can play outside. Uh, it, it, He has a really good relationship with Stefan Diggs, although it's complicated because I think that there's a little like, you know, holdover marinating about the fact that Diggs wanted it out of there because the Vikings kind of viewed Thielen as the number one receiver which I think probably didn't sit well with him. So I don't know if, if Diggs can be like, yeah, like, come on in here. Let's, let's run this back. Like it was in Minnesota a couple of years ago, but from a football perspective, sure. Like, I think it makes a lot of sense. He would, he would fit a need. And I think it would probably be a more affordable option than some of the other ones out there. I I really like the idea of DJ shark. The problem with him is in a really weak wide receiver class, his value is probably gonna be a little bit higher than it would be in most years. So if the bills have to end up paying like nine, ten million million a year for Chark, that's just, I think a little bit too rich. Uh, so a guy like Thielen or like a Robert Woods who got cut from Tennessee, those are intriguing options at like a more cost-effective price tag for the bills who like we mentioned earlier, don't have a lot of money.
1: Okay. All right, yeah. All right. Well, we don't want to keep you too long because I know you got to go pick up your kid, but thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah. So all of our listeners, this was Matt Perino. Make sure you tune into his podcast, the Shout Buffalo Bills podcast, which is produced by Syracuse.com. So that's sports for today. Go Bills. All right. Thank you, you, Matt.